Well, good morning and welcome. Beautiful Lord's Day. It's uh, nice and crisp out and sounds like y'all are awake. You're chattering and smiling. That's a good way to start this morning. We're just glad you're here. If you're joining us at East LJ Baptist for the first time, uh, welcome. We here at East LJ have been captivated by Christ. We want you to know that we have seen in Jesus uh, the glory of God uh, through his life, death, resurrection, and his ongoing reign uh, for us right now. And we cannot unsee his glory. Nothing captiva- can captivate our hearts like Jesus, and he's done that for us. As a church, we exist to spread our enjoyment of his beauty to the nations. And it's our prayer that you would see and embrace the beauty of Jesus today and be captivated by him as well. I want to give a quick uh, thank you and shout out to all of our adult volunteers who have volunteered to lead as well as host uh, our youth discipleship groups that will begin in January. Uh, Thank you all in advance for being back here this afternoon at 4 o'clock to uh, go through some training uh, and get ready to to kick that off in January. So thank you uh, to all of those who have volunteered to lead and host our youth discipleship groups. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning. In Luke chapter 18, we're going to read verses 31 to 43. We'll be focusing in on verses 35 to 43 a little bit later. Luke 18, verse 31, it says, In taking the twelve, he, Jesus, said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, Have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Jesus came for the, for the occasion that he describes in verses 31 to 34. He came to die. He came to go through much suffering for us there in Jerusalem, ultimately to be crucified by the Romans, And to die for my sin and yours. Jesus came as a son of God and he proved that in the healings that he did over and over and over again. And Jesus, even though he was on such a mission as as he was, headed to Jerusalem, 
to do the most important thing ever done in human history, he wasn't too busy to stop and serve and love a blind man and change his life forever. I'm thankful that he's done that in my life. I know you're thankful he's done that in your life. You and I have the privilege of knowing the gospel, knowing what the, the sufferings and death and resurrection of Jesus are all about. But so many of our neighbors and friends, co-workers, family members, don't understand. Maybe they've heard it, but they don't really get what Jesus has done, and they've yet to trust him. So we want to pray for your neighbors, but we also want to pray for the nations. Uh, this morning, uh, one of the unreached people groups we want to pray for is the Chine people of India. This is a Hindu people group. They are of sort of an upper class. Um, there's half a million or so of them with no evangelical believers among them. Half a million people with no church there to spread the gospel among them. So you want to pray for them. Join me as we pray and also uh, remember some sick and grieving today. Father, thank you for sending your son to live a perfect life in our place. And then to go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of wicked men and go to the cross and die in our place as our substitute, as the sacrifice for our sins. Lord, thank you for your compassion. Jesus, thank you that no one took your life from you. You laid it down for us because you love us. Thank you that you stopped to talk to that blind beggar and thank you that you stopped in our lives to save us God we pray for those who we know that need to know about Jesus we pray that you would use us for a divine stop in their lives that they might hear about Jesus from our mouths as we tell them what you've done for us and what the scriptures say about you Lord we also pray for the Chine people of India God how we pray you would penetrate this wealthy class of people that are hard to, to penetrate because of the whole caste system. They don't listen to people that are below them. And yet, God, they must be broken and made to see, just like we all must come to know, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the whole world, all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. Open their hearts and Make a way, Father, for the gospel there. Today we also, Lord, want to pray for Sandra Swain and pray that you continue to bring healing and give the doctors wisdom. Father, we lift up the Banji uh, Clawson, one of our missionaries, and her family as they grieve her mother's uh, death this week. Lord, this morning we pray for Brooke uh, I can't say her last name. Uh, but Lord, you know Deb Emery's daughter who's struggling hard with Crohn's disease this morning. And we just pray, God, that you would uh, minister to her. Lord, we continue to pray for Sherry Newton. Uh, Lord, thank you that um, her episode this week was not a stroke. But Lord, you know all the after effects of this other condition that she's dealing with. And we pray that you would bring healing and that you would encourage her, that you would strengthen her today. Lord, we pray for Crystal Hannah as we've been praying this week. Thank you that surgery was not required, but Lord, we continue to pray for her and her family. Thank you for our brother Roger Putnam, who's in Tennessee this week, uh, this weekend and into this next week, serving one of our missionaries um, 
Scott Phillips and his ministry there and just pray that you would protect and strengthen and use and encourage Roger even as he serves there. Father, we lift up our missionaries today. We were reminded this week, God, just at the intensity of the spiritual battle so oftentimes on the front lines of um, the mission field, especially in places where the gospel is going for the first time and how the enemy attacks. And, and so we lift up all of our missionaries and especially that one that's experiencing such a spiritual battle right now. Father, I pray that you would... Uh, make each and every one strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Lord, that, that day after day, they would, through the Word of God and the Gospel, that they would put on the full armor of God. They might stand against the wiles and schemes of the devil. God, may we do that here. And while it looks different, God, give us eyes to see the spiritual battle we're in. Give us eyes to see the way the enemy lulls us into a sleep, a comfortable sleep spiritually that is perhaps even more deadly than overt, clear spiritual battle. Lord, some of your strongest words are reserved for the lukewarm church in Revelation. Give us eyes to see complacency. Give us eyes to see how the enemy is at work to keep us just comfortable and render us ineffective in gospel advance in this world. God, may we not fall prey to the lukewarmness of the church at Laodicea. God, thank you that we have the privilege and the freedom to be here today. We ask, God, that you would come now and empower our singing and our praying, empower our giving. Spirit of God, be our teacher and the one who transforms our hearts through your word and send us out to impact this community for Christ. Be exalted, we pray, Lord Jesus. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen. We're glad you joined us this morning. We're going to start with Blessed Be Your Name. So let's all sing together.
Jason's going to lead us in. Jesus loves me.
And Lord Jesus, today we just bow before you. The one who is forever glorified. You are alive today. You sit at the Father's right hand and rule and reign over all things. Having been given the name that is above all names. Because you came and did the perfect will of the Father. Lord, you lived a perfect life in our place. You were the only worthy sacrifice to be the Lamb come to take away the sins of the world. And you did just that. You died in our place. You fully satisfied the just wrath of Almighty God that we who are sinners might be declared and made righteous in Him. Lord Jesus, on the third day you rose. And that's when the Father exalted you to his right hand, forever glorified, forever King of kings and Lord of lords. How can it be that you, Lord Jesus, love us and are for us and came for us? What love is this? We stand in awe. And God, we pray that today your love and your grace would move us and motivate us, change us, transform us. And send us out as your church on mission with this message that has changed our lives and our eternity. And Lord, I pray today that for someone in the room or joining us via live stream who needs to meet Jesus for the first time today, needs to trust Him as their Savior and surrender to Him as Lord of all, that today you would work in their hearts granting them repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus that they might know Him and leave here in full confidence of the forgiveness of their sins and total righteousness and acceptance before a holy God because of Jesus. Be our teacher now. Thank you for your word. The Bible is so precious. Because in it we see the living word, even Jesus himself. So teach us now, we pray, Spirit of God. For your honor and glory, as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we'll be looking at verses 31 to 43 this morning. Luke 18. <clears throat> Francis Jane Crosby, born in 1820, went blind at six weeks old due to a medical error by some of the doctors. Her father died when she was just a year old and her family was very, very poor. 
But her mother and grandmother saw to it that Frances Jane was educated at the New York Institution for the Blind. She would go on to be a teacher, something of a nurse, and even a rescue mission worker. But, but this blind lady became most well-known as the inspiring hymn writer you've probably heard by the name of Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby, just, just don't miss this little tidbit, wrote over 8,000 hymns. I read that and I'm thinking, say what? Over 8,000 hymns. You might know a few of them. All the way my Savior leads me. To God be the glory. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Blessed assurance. He hideth my soul. I am thine, O Lord, near the cross. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed redeemer. By the way, that's all one, long title. Rescue the perishing. Tell me the story of Jesus. Y'all know any of those? Anybody hear anything they knew in there? Okay, for some of you that did not raise your hand, we need to do a hymn class. Um, but anyway, Fanny... Fanny's conversion story is, 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 is interesting. She had been going to various churches, all different denominations, just going to various meetings because she just knew something wasn't right. She dreamed one night during this time period that a friend of hers, a, a man with, by the last name of Camp, that he was on his deathbed, and he asked her quite pointedly in her dream if she would meet him in heaven. She responded, again, in the dream, yes, but when she woke from her dream the next morning, she felt very uneasy about the state of her soul, and, and yet it would still be five more years from the night of that dream before she was saved. Finally, three different times, she went to the altar in her church, or at a church, before she finally received a personal assurance of her salvation. She was 30 years old at the time. The song that was playing as she went forward included the line, Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. And that line took hold in her heart, and she began to shout. She'd been born again, and she finally knew it, and, and finally she had that assurance she'd been seeking and so needless to say, that was when she wrote the song we love to sing, Blessed Assurance. Another hymn that most of you will know that she wrote is Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. You know that one? Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. The inspiration for this hymn was the result of a visit to a prison she made in the spring of 1868. The late hymnologist William Reynolds tells us that after she had spoken and some of her hymns had been sung, she heard one of the prisoners cry out in a pleading voice, right there in the middle of the meeting, Good Lord, do not pass me by. And she went home that evening, inspired by that line from the voice of a prisoner, and wrote the wonderful hymn, that wonderful hymn that same night. The words of that hymn go like this, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, 
Do not pass me by. Let me, at thy throne of mercy, find a sweet relief, kneeling there in deep contrition, help my unbelief. You know, sometimes a blind woman can see what others can't see. 8,000 hymns of the faith, so many of them we know and love and, and ring in our hearts even day to day as we walk with the Lord Jesus. But that last hymn, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, it reminds me of the blind beggar in our text for this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about seeing what a blind man saw. Sometimes blind people can see what others can't see. Seeing what a blind man saw. And here's the truth that I want you to take home. The only way to be saved is to desperately cry out for mercy to Jesus in simple faith. Now that's about as basic of a message as I can give you. But it's exactly the message we learned from blind Bartimaeus. But before we dive into Bartimaeus' story, let's start reading in verse 31, where Jesus sets the tone. I want you to see this about verses 31 to 34. Here in these verses, Jesus sets the tone and the focus for the rest of Luke's gospel. Notice in verses 31 to 34, he talks about a determined destiny. He says, In taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they, un they understood, the, the disciples, the twelve, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Jesus knew exactly what he was about to suffer. All that he would endure in the days ahead, and not long from this point. This, by the way, is the seventh time that Jesus has referred to his coming crucifixion, at least alluded to it in some way. Uh, if you want that list, I can give it to you later. But the seventh time in this gospel, and this final declaration of his coming passion, his coming suffering and crucifixion, is also the clearest. For the first time, Jesus talks about the fact that the Romans, the Gentiles, the Romans would be the ones to actually kill him. Jesus knew all of the details that he was fixing to suffer. And he reminds, he tells the disciples again, the seventh time, about that here. And at this point, Jesus is, and, and, and some of you uh, more scholarly types uh, can help me out with this, but the best I can understand, Jesus is at this point in time less than about two weeks away from the cross. He's somewhere, I believe, between 10 and 12 days away from the cross. This last leg of his journey is, is, is going to begin right outside of Jericho, as we're going to see, and all the way up to Jerusalem. By the way, that's an uphill climb. If you've ever been in that region, you know, you know he's starting about, uh, about the level of the Dead Sea, which would be below sea level, and going up a mountain to Jerusalem. It's an elevation gain of roughly 3,400 vertical feet over the course of about 18 miles. He's got a way to go. But his focus is set. He's coming down to his final days on earth. And what's coming has been made clear, even though it's been hidden from the understanding of the twelve. 
even though he's not there yet, Jesus is right on schedule with God's timeline for his arrival. There is a determined destiny. He will get to Jerusalem, and there he will die. But along the way, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that Jesus made some delightful detours. Not in the sense that he went off course. He stayed straight on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. But rather a detour into the lives of people who wanted and knew they needed his mercy and grace. People who believed that he was, in fact, the Messiah sent from God. The first, we're going to talk about today, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Mark tells us his name in Mark 10, verse 46. The second we'll see next week is a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. Both lived in and around Jericho, and both, interestingly, were looked down on. They were seen as outcasts, rejects in their community. Blind beggars were considered worse sinners than most folks because it was believed their blindness is a result of either their sin or the sin of their parents. It was God's curse on them. Remember early in the Gospels, I think back in Matthew's Gospel, early there was a blind man healed, and remember what they asked? Is this because of his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus' answer was, it's because it, wasn't, it didn't have nothing to do with any, either one. It was so I could be glorified. And as we talked about before, tax collectors, guys like this Zacchaeus we'll meet next week, were Jewish traders working as collecting agents for the wicked Romans and getting rich by overtaxing their fellow Jews, and thus they were absolutely despised by their fellow Jews. I'm calling these delightful detours because just as he has throughout the gospel, Jesus delights to be merciful to the worst of sinners, to outcasts, to rejects, who the rest of the world's thrown away and left to beg. And what's beautiful the reason I took a few minutes to talk about verses 31 to 34 is this. Though he has a determined destiny that is of utmost importance, he had time for Bartimaeus, and he had time for Zacchaeus. Nobody else had time for them. They'd thrown them away. Today we'd say they'd been canceled. But Jesus stopped on the most important leg of his journey and ministered to them. Today a blind Beggar, again, I want to talk to you about seeing what a blind man saw. The only way to be saved is to desperately cry out for mercy to Jesus in simple faith. So let's unpack the text. Number one, notice this in verses 35 to 38. The blind beggar saw his desperate need for mercy. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by. He inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Did you catch it? To the crowd, Jesus was just Jesus of Nazareth. His name was Jesus, and Nazareth was his hometown. I mean, it'd be like saying, Jason of Elijah. To the crowd, Jesus was just Jesus of Nazareth, but not to this blind beggar. Not to blind Bartimaeus. He wasn't just Jesus of Nazareth. He was Jesus, son of David. 
a title understood clearly and used exclusively to refer to the one and only Messiah who had come from God and come through the royal Davidic line to become the Savior of the world and the King of all kings. Everybody there understood what that title meant. And so he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man saw. He saw something, didn't he? The blind man saw his desperate need for mercy. But notice in verse 39, the beginning of that verse, the crowd was blind to Christ's compassion. Listen to what it says. And those who were in front rebuked him. So there's this crowd traveling with Jesus, right? And as they're walking along... Bartimaeus is sitting over here. He obviously can't see what's going on. He hears them. He says, hey, what's going on? They say, Jesus, now this is coming. He cries out, Jesus, son of David. I know who you are. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does the crowd do? Do they say, amen, Bartimaeus? Yep. Hey, you know what? I think you're right. I think this is the Messiah sent from God. Uh, What do they do? The crowd was blind to Christ's compassion. Those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. It's kind of beginning to be a pattern, isn't it? With people in this gospel, trying to keep other people from Jesus. It kind of reminds me of the disciples, right? The children were coming to Jesus. What did they do? What did the the brilliant 12 do? (laughs) They said, no, no, no. Keep, Keep those kids over there. What do you mean letting them, them youngins run up to Jesus like that? Y'all, y'all get your kids under control. It's too important to be bothered with children. And now this crowd looks at a blind man who's crying out. The only one that really gets who Jesus is. One of the few at least. And they tell him to stop hollering and be quiet. reveals how so many misunderstand the heart of Jesus even today, doesn't it? Far too many have this misconception that Jesus is only interested in certain kinds of people, the respectable, the noble, the important people. The good people, the church people. Y'all all right? But the reality is, and we see it from Scripture over and over again, we see it in the life, and it comes out of the mouth of Jesus over and over and over again. Jesus loves the unlovable. In fact, there's nobody but unlovables. No one earns Jesus' attention and love. There are nothing but unlovables. There are nothing but the unables. There are nothing but, hear me, blind beggars, spiritually speaking, in all of the human race. Hello? The ground's level at the foot of the cross. All are as weak as a child, like we saw a couple weeks ago. And all are as helpless and poor and needy as this blind beggar. They, perhaps we, just don't realize it. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says, The things about you that make you cringe most... Make God hug hardest. 
His mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. How often do we shrink the grace of God to fit our box for what our mercy looks like toward other people? Now, don't get me wrong and don't get Dane Ortland wrong. He's not saying so you just keep sinning and don't worry about it. That's not it. His point is, though, when, you're, when, when you know you've, you've blown it, what do we often do? We hide, just like Adam and Eve did, right, in the garden. We hide. We don't run to God and, and tell Him we need more grace. Confess our sin, turn from it, and say, God, I need more grace. We run from Him, and yet it is in that moment that His heart goes out to us most. Copies of Gentle and Lowly Free on the table on your way out. Why have you not read it yet? Been out there for a long time. Great book. Man, I'm telling you, challenge my heart about the, the heart of Jesus uh, in a powerful way. Blind Bartimaeus understood the heart of Jesus and that of his father. And this blind beggar, <laughs> hallelujah, this blind beggar, he didn't pay those folks a bit of attention, did he? He didn't even, he didn't even slow down in his cry to Jesus. In fact, in the rest of verse 39, the blind beggar saw his opportunity and he wholeheartedly took it. They said, be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! The language here is an intensification of his cry. The word used where it says he cried out before is sort of like a normal shout. The word used here where it says he cried out all the more, he goes, he goes from a normal shout to max volume. Everything he's got, like it comes from his toenails right out his mouth, and he's, and he's just shouting at the top of his lungs. He's screaming like, like his life depends on him being heard, like a man trapped in a burning house crying for help. Because listen to me, that's exactly where he was spiritually. His house was on fire and he knew it. He was a dying man, desperate for a Savior. And by the way, that's the only kind of man, woman, boy, or girl that ever is rescued by Jesus. That is the place we all must be to receive His grace. The blind beggar saw his opportunity and he wholeheartedly took it. He knew this was it. He knew this was it. This was the one, listen to me, the one moment God had sovereignly arranged for him. Jesus was right there. And he wasn't about to let him get past. Pass me not, oh, gentle and mighty Savior. Hear my humble plea. While on others you are calling, do not pass me by. Today is very likely that moment for someone in this room or for someone joining us via live stream. And here's the deal. You already knew that. You already knew that because right now you're hearing God's voice, God's spirit calling to you. He's convicting you right now of your sin and your need for a Savior while simultaneously through the words of Scripture right now he is convincing you of Jesus' 
Jesus' heart and, and the fact that he's full of compassion and mercy, that Jesus is ready and, and willing to give you grace and forgiveness and to make you righteous in the Father's sight. He's doing that in your heart right now. Listen to me. Our days are not a string of coincidental happenings, but an unfolding of divine appointments. That's what your life is. That's what your life is if you're a believer. But especially in this moment this morning, that's what your life is if you need Jesus today. No coincidence you're here. Our life's not a string of coincidental happenings. It is the unfolding of divine appointments. This is your moment. Do not let your opportunity pass today. Cry out from the bottom of your heart to Jesus. Cry out to him. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. And let me tell you something. Anybody who's ever asked Jesus that, they've never been turned down. He's never passed them by. Why? Because he loves to give mercy to those who need it most. Fourthly, this morning in verses 40 and 41, the blind beggar saw the compassion of Christ and... And he experienced it. Verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Jesus stopped. How beautiful are those two words? Right? Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped for a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. He heard his cry. And he stopped. Don't forget, he's on an important journey. He's got somewhere to be, and, it's, and he's still got a good ways to go. He's the most important person on the planet, about to do the most important thing ever done on the planet. And there's some, just one of many in that day. Matthew tells us, by the way, there was actually two of them that day. We only, Luke only mentions one, probably the better known of the two. His name is Bartimaeus. Mark tells us. I mean, but, but blind, blindness was rampant in those days. Blind beggars were everywhere. Like, this was, not a, this was not a big deal. Like, this was just commonplace. And yet for this blind beggar who cried out for the mercy of God, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped for Chad Kelly. One January Sunday morning, 1977. Right there in my living room. You remember the day Jesus stopped for you? We sang it a minute ago, Joe. How can it be? Jason, how can it be that you love me? How can it be that you would stop me? Because that's who Jesus is. Jesus stopped. This morning, hear me. If right now in these moments as I'm speaking to you, you know you need mercy, then I want you to understand something. Jesus just stopped for you right here in this room. And that's his Spirit's voice speaking into your heart. The text goes on, and when he came near, he asked him. So Jesus stops. He tells him, hey, bring that, bring, bring that guy asking for mercy over here. And when he came near, listen, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? 
We're studying the Gospel of Luke, but as I was studying and cross-referencing and looking at other Gospels, it's worth taking a minute to tell you about what happens in Matthew's Gospel. This question, what do you want, for me, want me to do for you? In Matthew's account, and also in Mark's, just before this story about the blind man that we're unpacking right now, Matthew and Mark both include another conversation that happened just before this with James and John, the sons of Deb- Zebedee. You can reference this in Matthew 20, 20 to 28, and Mark 10, 35 to 45. And in that conversation, you know what, you know what James and John wanted? You might remember? They come to Jesus and, and they say, Jesus, we... We wonder, would you, would you do for us whatever we ask of you? Would you do for us whatever we ask of you? We got, we got, we got something we need, to, we need you to do for us, Jesus. And here's what Jesus said to them also. What do you want me to do for you? Same question. Mark 10, 36. If we were to turn back there, we would read the fact that their next request, their request of Jesus, the reason they came to Jesus, what they wanted from Jesus, is they wanted the best two seats in his coming kingdom. So Jesus, here's the thing, we followed you for three years now. And the best we can tell, James and, James and I, John and I, the best, best we can tell, I mean, us boys, us sons of Zebedee, best we can tell, I mean, we stayed close. And Jesus, I, I think, we think we've earned the best seats up in the big house, don't you? Jesus, will you give us that? Try and draw a contrast for you here. So often we're like these two guys, aren't we? We want Jesus to give us what we want. That's our prayer life. Jesus, will you give me what I want? We act as if we deserve something from Jesus. Wrong. Not blind Bartimaeus. His cry was, have mercy on me. Jesus, I know who you are, and I know I don't deserve anything. But because I know who you are, I'm crying out for mercy because I believe you like to give mercy. And Jesus does. The whole reason he came, just like he's already told us, was to end up on that Roman crucifix as our substitute, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to die in our place and pay for all of our sins that he might justly give mercy to sinners like me and you. And in response to his humble cry for mercy, Jesus asked Bartimaeus, What do you want me to do for you? Totally, same same words. Two totally different situations. And so blind Bartimaeus goes ahead and asks for a specific act of mercy. He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Seems to indicate that perhaps he had had sight at one point, had lost it. He was born with sight went blind at some point, and is asking for that to be restored. Now, what all's going on here? You remember verses 31 to 34? Like, he describes his passion week pretty in-depth, doesn't he? 
They're going to flog me, right? The Gentiles are going to be the ones that kill me. And on the third day, I mean, he had all the details. So, so it ain't like Jesus didn't know this guy was blind. It's not like he didn't know he wanted to see. Why does Jesus ask the blind man what it is specifically that he wants him to do for him? You know why? Jesus delights to hear us cry out to him in prayer. There's no other reason. He delights to hear us cry out to him in prayer. Jesus delights in humble hearts that are, Scripture tells us in Isaiah 57, broken and contrite under the weight of our sin, but hearts that believe Jesus is good and gracious and merciful to sinners and so are willing and eager even to cry out to him in prayer for mercy. Maybe you need to cry out for mercy today. Maybe you need to cry out for saving mercy for the first time and, and in this moment take God's gift of grace to you to complete forgiveness, the crediting of all Jesus' righteousness to your account. Maybe you need to take that gift from God today. Maybe you need a specific mercy from Jesus. Maybe you're a child of God and you need God's mercy, but you've either been too proud to pray for it or... You believe Jesus doesn't really care about that and may not want to give you the mercy that you know in reality only he can give. Remember when James says we, ask, we have not because we ask not? Sometimes we don't have God's mercy because we don't ask him. Jesus delights in prayer. And so you can cry out to him right now. You can, will you? If you need his mercy. You can join the rest of us on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock when we come together to just keep crying out in prayer to Jesus for mercy, both for our neighbors and the nations, for the sick, for the grieving, for ourselves, for, for you. Maybe, just maybe, if you ask, if we ask, God will pour out mercy. God will do something that we can't even imagine he could do. You think healing a blind man something? How about turning this church upside down so that the gospel spreads throughout Gilmore County like we've never seen it happen before? Can he do that in your life? Can he do that in our lives? Can he? <laughs> Maybe that's why it happened. Let me try that again. Can he? It ain't about God and his ability. Hello? And maybe the reason he's not using me anymore than he is because I ain't asking him. And maybe that's true for you, y'all, all right? Hey, Bartimaeus wasn't about to let his opportunity pass by. Today just might be ours. Tonight at 6 o'clock might just be ours. How does Jesus respond to this blind man's request? Verses 42 and 43, the blind beggar physically, physically, with his eyes, saw Jesus. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. It's really not a good translation. It's not the normal word for healing here. It's the word sozo, and it means to save. It's the word 
almost universally used throughout Scripture talking about saving as in salvation saving. A better translation would be recover your sight, healing done. Your faith has saved you. Remember, he knew who Jesus was. Jesus, not of Nazareth. Not just some dude that does neat things walking around Palestine. Jesus, son of David, the one and only Messiah sent from God to save not just the Jews, but the planet from their sins. The blind beggar physically saw Jesus. Jesus gladly gave him the mercy he asked for, a merciful healing that only Jesus could give and an eternal salvation that only Jesus could give. Bartimaeus reacts to his healing the only way anyone who's genuinely experienced the mercy of God can. Listen to it in verse 43. And immediately he recovered his sight, listen, and followed him, glorifying God. And followed him, glorifying God. That's the only way that somebody that receives God's mercy can respond. If that doesn't describe our lives as professing Christians, then hear me, we've probably never received God's mercy through faith in Christ, because those who follow, those who have received his mercy, follow their healer. They follow their savior. They follow their merciful rescuer. They glorify the God of their salvation. They can't help it. Amen? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us anything I'm about to say, but I can't help but imagine that Bartimaeus... Sanctified imagination is what we're doing right here, okay? This is not scripture. But I can't, I can't, I can't help but think that old, Bar, old Bartimaeus followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. 18 mile hike, 34 feet straight up. I think he was probably there when Jesus rode that donkey, donkey's colt in Jerusalem. Perhaps he was there at the, res, at the crucifixion. Maybe he even saw the risen Christ, and was part of the 120 gathered there in that room on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was given in power and the church was born. Scripture doesn't tell us, but it's curious, if you stop and think about it, that Mark tells us his name in his gospel. You see, all the gospels were written, obviously, after Jesus ascended, And perhaps by that time, this blind beggar was part of the early church. And by then, everyone had come to know him. I mean, the bottom line is, at least Mark knew him by name by the time he wrote his gospel. The blind man who received mercy did what every person who receives mercy cannot help but do. He followed him. He lived the rest of his life glorifying God. Jesus' mercy. To the blind man, as we wrap the passage up, also resulted in others praising God. Verse 43, the second part, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And so it should be because of our lives. Lives of all of us who've received God's free grace and mercy by faith in Jesus, when other people see it, they should give praise to God. Now, does that mean the whole crowd got saved. It was a big mass revival. No, it just means they were, they were already God-fearing, God-worshipping people. They knew something divine had happened. doesn't mean they were all convinced Jesus was the Messiah, but it means they at least gave acknowledgement God had acted in history. Seeing what a blind man saw. 
Namely, the only way to be saved is to desperately cry out for mercy to Jesus in simple faith. If you've received God's mercy in Jesus, are you singing this praise like Fanny Crosby did? Are you following him and and glorifying him day by day? Maybe you would sing the last two verses of that hymn I talked about earlier. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Listen to, listen to the, these last two verses. Would you sing these words? Speaking to the Lord Jesus himself. Trusting only in thy merit would I seek thy face. Heal my wounded, broken spirit. Save me by thy grace. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And the final verse, Thou the spring of all my comfort, more than life to me. Whom have I on earth beside thee? Whom in heaven but thee? The only way to be saved is to desperately cry out for mercy to Jesus in simple faith. And when you receive his mercy, your life will look like Bartimaeus. You will follow him day after day. And you'll live for his glory and honor. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful account. This beautiful encounter between the lowest of low in human society and Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, may we imitate you as your people. May we love, serve, and reach out to, go to, get amongst the lowest as the world counts people. But may we never think the way they think. May we always just realize every man, woman, boy, and girl is one for whom Christ died. And the ground is level. At the foot of the cross. Doesn't matter what, what, what anybody has, what they don't have, what they do, what they don't do, what they have done, what they haven't done. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Send us in the world like you went. Help us to stop for people like Bartimaeus the way Jesus did for us. And God, I pray for that person right now for whom this, perhaps in your sovereign plan, this is their moment. Jesus has stopped to speak to them and is speaking right now. In that still small voice of his spirit, in accordance with the word preached, right now he's speaking into their hearts. He's calling them. God, I pray for them that you would help them to say yes to Jesus. That right now you would help them turn from sin. Give them repentance as a gift. And then the gift of faith, Lord. If they would believe Jesus when he tells them he loves them. That he died for them. That he rose for them. That he wants to give them all the mercy they need. Help them to be childlike in their simple embrace of his word. Taking him at his word. Trusting him with all their hearts. Oh God, do that today, I pray. What a salvation is ours. We wait on you now.
to work in the hearts of your people and in the hearts of those that you would call to yourself today. We thank you that we pray right now to the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And nothing that I've just asked for is too hard for you. So for your glory's sake, we pray that you would act even right now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.
God's people said. Amen. Amen. What a great way to just pray our way out of the service after the message today. Amen. Great, great prayer in that hymn. Maybe seated for just a moment. Just a few announcements. First of all, cry out to Jesus Prayer Service tonight and every Sunday evening, 6 p.m. right here. Join us as we do just that. Chapter 8, Youth and Seeds Kids, Wednesdays at 6.30 in the evening. Pizza at 6 o'clock, so come early, get some pizza, and uh, be here for a great time of Bible study for all ages, including adults. See for yourself Bible study and Larry Mullinax's two different ones. Uh, Adult Bible study on Wednesday night at 6.30 also. Next Sunday, or excuse me, today, sorry, today, this afternoon, from 4 to 6 p.m., we'll be doing some discipleship group training. The focus is on our youth discipleship groups. It'll be kicking off in January. But all who are interested in, um, in serving in any way, either with our youth discipleship groups, or if you're here and you think, you know, adult discipleship groups would be an awesome thing. Actually, they would, and they are. And we've got at least one of those going on that God's using in, 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 in our lives that are involved there. And, and so if that's something you'd be interested in, join us this afternoon, 4 to 6, for some uh, hopefully helpful and, and practical training as we think about starting youth discipleship groups in January. Also, the CLC, I think through tomorrow, is doing a Thanksgiving food drive. On the table on your way out the desk there, you can find a little flyer that looks like this. Um, suggested food items to donate, as well as information as to where and when to drop the food off. I think that goes again through tomorrow the 15th. One last announcement from Jim uh, concerning birthday for Jesus, and then Jim, if you'll dismiss us in prayer. Well, praise God. You people have a love for God a regard for his word, and a compassion for the lost. I'm so pleased to tell you that so far, we've raised $10,546 for Bibles to be given, yes, glory to God, to be given to, mostly to students in 185 countries around the world, translated into 100 different languages. And I'm so excited this Thursday, I'll be leaving for the Ivory Coast, the Republic of Côte d'Ivoire, and I'm trying to start to learn a little bit of French because that's the, the uh, main language there. But uh, I'll be there f- over the Thanksgiving week, so as you're enjoying your turkey, a week from Thursday, I want you to be praying that those that we give Bibles to will receive not only God's Word, but Jesus in their hearts. So I thank you for your donations. I want to remind you that uh, none of that money is going towards my travel expenses. Gideon's, our volunteers, is just a small paid staff. But uh, the vast majority of us are volunteers serving God at our own expense. And I just am grateful for the privilege of carrying the money that you have donated translated into Bibles to the lost people around the world. So I thank you very, very much. I have a quick video here. Doug, if you'll show that, please, and then I'll close in prayer.
Thank you for celebrating Birthday for Jesus with the Gideons International. Even during these challenging times, your support was still strong. We rejoice that men, women, boys and girls around the world will have access to the Word of God because of your generosity. Your church joined with churches all over the U.S. to make a difference. So far, your donations will supply over 73,000 Bibles or 306,000 Testaments around the world. Let's continue in this good work of honoring the Savior by sharing His story to all as we strive side by side for the faith of the Gospel. Thank you for making an eternal impact with us. Well, rather than allow Brother Jim to dismiss us in prayer, let's pray for him as he goes on his trip. So, Brother Jim, if you want to come up here and somebody, if you want to join us, then uh, you're welcome, but we want to send you off with love and prayers from your church family so <clears throat> give y'all just a minute if you want to come and let's pray heavenly father lord we're just so grateful father for your mercy lord that we can cry out to you, son of David, have mercy on us. Amen. And Father, Lord, we just come now, we want to pray for Brother Jim as he uh, prepares to go and distribute Bibles, Lord. We pray for your Holy Spirit to go before him and uh, before the group. Father, that you would uh, just be ministering in the hearts to those that are going to receive Bibles, Father. We pray for a safe travel and safe return, Lord, and a, and a safe time of, um, of worship to you, Father. Lord, help them to see with your eyes of compassion those around them. And, um, Father, that you would help them to have hearts of love as you love us and love all, all of us all over the world, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just um, go with him, go with the group, Father, Lord. Just bless them, encourage them, Father, strengthen them, Lord. And just uh, we know that your word will not return void, Lord. And we just pray for many to come to salvation, Father, through this. Uh, distribution, Lord, and we just give you praise and honor and glory in all of it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. <laughs>